Hello everyone and welcome to the Unanswered Questions True Crime Podcast. I have spent hours and hours investigating this. He basically told her that people have been killed. Journalists, independent investigators, people like that disappeared. It frightened her to the bone. There's more to the story than meets the eye. There were rumors of torture and homicide and sexual abuse, all sorts of egregious, horrendous crimes. He was polygraphed three times. Each of those three showed evasions. His resumes were a skeleton of truth. He was mad at the world, and particularly mad at the government. The study that he commissioned that described a fictional terrorist attack. If people have died over this, it means you're getting close to the truth. You don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to say, what the fuck? Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of my new podcast, Unanswered Questions, where every week we will endeavour to discuss a mysterious unsolved case that has many lingering unanswered questions. So I hope you enjoy and as always leave me some feedback on what you think about the show and rate it as well. Now on to the show, this week we'll be talking about the mass transit incident. So the mass transit incident was a professional wrestling event that took place during an extreme championship wrestling ECW house show on November 23rd of 1996 at the Wonderland Ballroom in Revere, Massachusetts. 17-year-old Eric Kulas, an aspiring professional wrestler who used the ring name Mass Transit, was seriously injured in a tag team match against the Gangsters. The most severe injury occurred when Kulas was bladed too deeply by Jerome Nujack Young, severing two of his arteries. Further controversy arose when it came to light that Kulas had lied to ECW owner and booker Paul Heyman about his age and professional wrestling training. I was there and that was, um, that was some... That was some mean shit, actually. <laughs> the interesting thing about Mass Transit was nobody in the locker room knew he was a, a wrestler until there was like a lineup sheet and we saw the words Mass Transit and we're like, who the fuck is Mass Transit? Axel Rotten didn't show up. Something happened with his grandmother. So Devon didn't have a partner. Devon Dudley didn't have a partner. And this kid comes up with a tape saying that he's worked before, yada, yada, yada. He's a big, big boy, so he's like, well, you can take his place, and your job is gonna be just getting there, you know, you're just gonna be the piece of meat. You shit out you. He's like, okay, no problem. But then he came back, and he started telling me about all these different spots he wanted to do. Mass Transit was a young guy. I think he was just excited. He had his family there, and he wanted to get some spots in. And he's sitting there next to Taz, lighting up his cigarette, telling Paulie who he's going to be in the ring. He's telling the gangsters and Devon Dudley what they're going to do in their match. No, you sit there, you shut up, you listen, and you know, hopefully, you know, you get invited back. But then he came back and he started telling me about all these different spots he wanted to do. Then he said he wanted to get color, but he didn't know how to do it. He asked me where I do it. And I said, yeah, I'll do it, gladly. So when it came for the time, came when the time came for him to get color, I cut the shit out of him. Now he didn't stay this long or this long. He just said get, he wanted to bleed, so I, I cut him. When he took took it, he put his head down to sell it, and he's like, uh, 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 oh, oh. <clears throat> but when he looks up, he looks back down and realizes there's a puddle of blood <laughs> this big. And the first thing he does is he looks down and then he grabs his head and then he does this a couple of times. And I mean, it wasn't funny, but it, it just kind of struck us as funny <laughs> because 
when he looks down and he sees the blood and realizes the how bad he's cut he screamed like you know like a little girl I mean it looked like somebody kicked him in the balls real real hard you know he had nothing but that high falsetto going on you can see a skull you know how you score like men together you can see it I cut that boy deep I cut the shit out of him I had like a surgical scaffold everybody said it was like an exacto knife whatever the hell it is I had a surgical scaffold and I had on a piece of wood and I just cut him real hard like and he bled a lot it was odd because uh, whenever they got back to the dressing room uh, New Jack had to scram. <laughs> they were, the cops were pissed, and they were the ones that were actually pressing charges. I mean, as over the line as New Jack went, I mean, some, part of it, you know, could have been justified. Any regrets about that whole incident? I regret it. He hadn't been in the ring. I mean, fuck. I mean, he's the, they, they told me he was 20, and I found he was 17. That was not my fault. Do I regret it? No, I don't regret it. Welcome to the business. Rolling out the door, the kid like grabs the door. He was dead, but then he comes alive, you know, and he grabs the door as he's going, No, Dad, I'm one of the boys. <laughs> you know, and then they really know, We don't do that. <laughs> you know, I was like, Okay. <laughs> then nine months later, I was in court for aggravated assault. Mayhem, aggravated assault was intense. They, they charged me with the same thing. Five, it was worded five different ways, but it all meant the same thing. And they offered me five years and we went to jury trial and they got, I got acquitted. Free like OJ. Did it and got away with it. The incident led to the temporary cancellation of the <laughs> so inaugural ECW pay-per-view Barely Legal and legal action against Young due to Kulas's deception. However, Barely Legal was reinstated and the legal action ended in Young's favor. Were you around for the mass transit incident? Yeah. Um, the mass transit incident was really unfortunate for everybody involved, really. Uh, and the weird thing is, like, I saw the kid in the locker room, and I thought he worked for the building. We were at a, a racetrack, and uh, uh, I think it was fall in uh, Revere, Massachusetts. And uh, I'm sitting there, I'm like uh, watching this guy walking around the locker room. I was like, oh, maybe he's security guard for the the racetrack, and. Uh, you know, it, it was so weird because uh, other people said he, he, when he showed up, he showed up with like two midget wrestlers and he tried to get on the show and he pitched himself to Paulie saying that, you know, he's doing this, uh, this Ralph Cramden gimmick. And he, he wanted to wrestle as Ralph Cramden and Paulie was like, nah, you'll be mass transit. And, uh, I mean, this whole thing happened because originally Devon and Axel Rotten were a tag team. And for whatever reason, Axel couldn't make the show. So, for, as a last-minute replacement, you know, usually, you know, you show up and you introduce yourself. And, um, you, know, it, you know, if they, they decide to use you, they use you. And this kid had said he was trained by Killer Kowalski. Uh, and uh, he said he was, you know, older than what he was. I forget what he said, but at the time he was 16, 17. I believe he said he was 19. And uh, the ironic thing about <laughs> the ironic thing about the whole mass transit thing is he claimed he was trained by Killer Kowalski. And normally Killer Kowalski would come to these events with his students, and you know, before every ECW show. Uh, 
the younger guys would get in the ring, roll around, you know, for all the events. And Tracy Smothers, who's an unsung hero to a lot of the ECW younger guys, because he would get there, do drills and stuff like that, and cardiovascular stuff. So, uh, you know, our guys would work out with Killer Kowalski's guys. Well, this show, Killer Kowalski didn't come to this event. He didn't bring his students. And if, you know, this kid, Mass Transit, had claimed he was trained by Killer Kowalski, we could have had Killer there to say, hey, he's not my student. This guy's obviously lying. <clears throat> so the kid uh, lies about his age, lies about his experience, and uh, walks around the locker room and he has completely no etiquette whatsoever. You know, uh, when I was trained by Al, go in the locker room, put your bags down, sit down, mouth closed, ears open, yes sir, no sir. Uh, you know, mass transit walks around, he's, there's, there's stuff, you know, for the boys, he's going up, you know, drinking in the drinks, and <clears throat> he pops down next to Taz and lights up a cigarette. Which, you know, if Taz is, Taz is clean living, Taz doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, this kid's like lighting up a cigarette, and, you know, Taz is like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. So I was like, let me get away. No, I don't want, I don't want witnesses. But um, apparently they were going over to match, which again, if you were trained pop properly, you would know just to listen and ask, what am I doing in the match? You know, like my first big, the first big name I ever worked was McFoley as Cactus Jack in a tag match. And I didn't even think to suggest anything to McFoley, Cactus Jack. He's the veteran, he's gonna tell me what to do. So the kid goes up to, act, uh, he goes up to uh, Devon Dudley. <laughs> Uh, and the gangsters and says hey this is what I want to do which is like all three of them the veterans of the locker room go uh, no this is what we're doing and he, ins he insisted and I think he even insisted you know the midgets get involved with the match too <coughs> which I don't know if I'm if I'm in somebody's locker room for the first time just mouth mouth closed ears open so it got to the point where he really just aggravated the situation where, you know, if he would have would have just went in and did what he was told, he probably would have had to, you know, because I was a young guy too and I wrestled New Jack and New Jack was fine with me, you know? You know, I, I, I said, what are we doing? And he let us know and, and if, you know, you know, he thought of an idea for me. He would tell me what to do, and it's unfortunate because you know, I, I watched the match too as it happened. You know, there's a little area where you could go up these steps and see over the curtain. It was just, it was just, it was brutal. <laughs> it was brutal, uh, and and then, like I said, like I've said before, you know. Anybody with experience would know this. There's a lot of things a person with experience would know to do. And a person with experience and proper training would know, never let somebody else cut you. You know, don't ever let somebody else blade you because you know your pain th threshold. You know your pain threshold, first day with the new math, sorry. Uh, you know 
how you know how deep is too deep you know whether it's a scratch or a you know a poke or whatever somebody else gigging you you, you don't do it it's 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 not safe it's not sanitary and uh, you know he went to New Jack and said hey can you cut me oh if you're asking somebody to gig you New Jack's the Leonardo da Vinci of you know blading <laughs> If you're going to say somebody come look at their own forehead, you know, and New Jack's forehead looks like, you know, a map quest of, you know, pro wrestling. And so, uh, you know, like I said, you know, it, it, it's so unfortunate that A, Killer Kowalski wasn't there to say, nah, he's full of shit. It's unfortunate that the kid lied to get into the locker room, lied to get in on a match, you know, lied about his experience, lied about, uh, you know, about his age and I mean if you go back in, in history you know this happened you know in the WWE with the uh, the Chuck Austin incident where a guy just showed up and lied about his experience and wound up getting paralyzed you know paralyzed in the ring by uh, Marty Jannetty so you think people would just like learn from you know it's, it's an unfortunate incident of history repeating itself you know no and when you when you, when you train to wrestle it's not like you go to uh, DeVry Institute and you get a certificate of pro wrestling, you know, hey, this is my uh, completion stage of pro wrestling, you know, there's nothing like that. You go by somebody's word, you know, or word of mouth, and uh, there's no way to vet this kid's facts or lack of facts and his lies. So, unfortunately, because somebody lied about their experience, age, a company almost got shut down and a lot of people almost lost work, a lot of work. And, uh, opportunity and it's a shame for everyone involved is it true that uh, New Jack actually dated Terry Reynolds for a while yeah I believe uh, yeah New Jack dated Terry Reynolds but other than that I don't know any details I just yeah. you see photos on Facebook oh that's cool I like Terry I like Jack now we're gonna get into the match Axel Rotten had been scheduled to work a tag team match with Devon Dudley against the gangsters New Jack and Mustafa Saeed, but could not make the show due to a family emergency. The show was also scheduled to feature dwarf wrestlers Tiny the Terrible and Half Nelson against 17-year-old Eric Kulas, who performed as Mass Transit, a Ralph Cramden-esque bus driver. Kulas convinced ECW owner and booker Paul Heyman to have him fill in for Rotten by claiming he was 21 and had wrestled for Killer Kowalski, a retired star wrestler who ran a notable wrestling school in the Boston area. Heyman later said he did not know Kulas' age. Before the match, Kulas asked New Jack to blade him since he had never done it himself, and New Jack agreed. During the match, Dudley and New Jack brawled outside the ring while Saeed and Transit fought inside the ring. The match was booked as a squash, with Dudley quickly isolated outside the ring and told not to return by the gangsters. The gangsters then double teamed Kulas inside the ring, New Jack pummeling him with crutches, toasters, and various other objects in the hardcore style that ECW was then known for. At the end of the match, New Jack bladed Kulas with a surgical scalpel as the two had agreed, but cut too deeply and severed two arteries in Coolis's forehead. He screamed in pain, then passed out as blood poured from his head. The event was a house show and thus not televised, but fan camcorders caught footage which was eventually used as evidence in legal proceedings. The video showed New Jack quietly asking Coolis after the blading, quote, You all right? 
end quote. Next, the gangsters proceeded to work Coolis over with even more with elbow drops and various objects, prompting Coolis's father to scream, and I quote, Ring the fucking bell! He's 17! End quote. As medics rushed into the ring to aid Coolas, Nujak grabbed the house microphone and in an attempt to garner heat, he shouted, and I quote, I don't care if the motherfucker dies. He's white. I don't like white people. I don't like people from Boston. I'm the wrong to fuck with. End quote. According to Nujak in an interview with Aria Video, he told Coolas, quote, This is not a good idea. End quote. Prior to the match. Now we get into the repercussions that followed. First, we'll start off with the pay-per-view cancellation. The incident led to the cancellation of ECW's first ever pay-per-view event, Barely Legal, by pay-per-view provider Request TV on Christmas Eve 1996. Heyman, by his own admission in the rise and fall of ECW, begged and pleaded with Request and finally convinced the company they had been misled. The pay-per-view went ahead and was placed back on the schedule on Sunday, April 13th of 1997 at 9pm. Now we get into the Inside Edition interview. Kulas and his family later did an interview with Inside Edition that featured footage from the incident including New Jack cutting him and berating him after the match. The segment depicted Kulas as an innocent, unprepared victim while vilifying ECW, even going as far as showing that Heyman had not asked for any state identification. The story was completed before the Kulases launched their lawsuit, so the key details of how Kulas actually got himself into the match had not been made public at that point. Now we get into the legal action and later events. Three years after the incident, Jack was tried on charges of assault and battery with a dangerous weapon and was later sued by the Kulas family. After hearing Kulas asked to be cut, a jury acquitted him, and he was later found not liable in a civil court. Wrestlers testified that Kulas was extremely arrogant and demanding backstage prior to the match, and when told that he would have to bleed as part of the match, Kulas had asked Young to blade him since he had never done it. The court also heard his father shouted he's only 17 and take it easy on him, he's just a kid, when they isolated his son from Devon Dudley during the match and double-teamed him. The book The Rise and Fall of ECW also states that as the medic crew carried Kulas out, he was escorted by Tommy Dreamer, who held his hand to comfort him. Passing by the audience, Kulas began giving them the finger in an attempt to continue playing the bad guy. Authorities later determined that Coolis had lied to Heyman about his age and experience. Coolis claimed to be 21 years of age, but he was actually 17 years old. He also claimed to have been trained by Killer Kowalski, and his father vouched for him, but Coolis was never trained to wrestle. In the rise and fall of ECW, Heyman says Coolis' dubious credentials as a student of Killer Kowalski were endorsed by Tiny the Terrible. Now we get into later events. Eric Coolis died on May 12th of 2002 at the age of 22 due to complications from gastric bypass surgery. The incident was featured in a 2020 episode of Dark Side of the Ring centered on New Jack. Coolis's family declined to participate in the episode, which of course they would. Up to his own death in May of 2021, New Jack did not express remorse for the incident. His final tweet on his Twitter account reiterated Coolis's request to the blading. Can you uh, tell me a story of the mass transit incident? <laughs> I knew that was coming. He was 17, he thought he was 21. And he had a little person with him. Listen, New Jack, I'm not gonna lie, he was intimidating. That's because he, he was always presenting the image that he was sinister. I, my name is Tiny the Terrible. I was just basically one of those midget wrestlers that wanted to be considered not really as a midget wrestler just as a wrestler that was just sure. New Jack was like, if you went out of a script, he would make you pay for it. If you're gonna cut somebody all the up on their first match, 
that don't make no sense. And and you know, and that's basically what happened with, with a uh, with an Eric Kulas type situation. Teenage wrestler Eric Kulas calls himself Mass Transit. Dressed in a bus driver gimmick, his matches with Tiny and his brother attract the attention of ECW. He's seen the tape of Eric Kulas and my brother wrestling. Paul Heyman couldn't believe that a big guy could work with midgets, because that's like unheard of. The three are asked to appear at an upcoming match in Revere, Massachusetts. The best uh, wrestling is is um, not be able to discern the line between fiction and reality. That was one of the big appeals of ECW. Uh, I'm Stu Kaplan. I'm John Donovan. And we were doing security for the show. I was upstairs, I had a walkie-talkie, and someone came on talkie and said, there are some guys here for the show. I saw uh, Eric Kulas come in. I didn't know who he was. I had no idea who he was. And I knew everybody. And they went into the back of the locker room. And that was literally the last time I saw Eric until he came out for the match. No one knows that Eric has lied about his age, claiming to be 21. In reality, he's a 17-year-old minor. Axel Rotten didn't show up for the show. He had a family emergency. So he was like, he gets a tryout. They decided to cut us out. Eric, like, just just cut us off and just went for self. This untrained teenager who claimed to be a professional wrestler and had probably wrestled a few local shows shows up. They needed somebody for New Jack to beat up. So they said, okay. That was their first mistake. So Paulie was like, Jack, y'all go for like seven minutes. Whatever you want to do to the fat kid, just do it. I said, Paulie, what I'm gonna do to him, people gonna be talking about this 10 years from now. Well, it's been 20 years and we still talking about it. You know, we're on the grounds now of the Wonderland Dog Track where uh, the ECW uh, famous gangster, uh, Eric Kulas incident happened. And we got here early. We got here probably two or three hours before the show, but there were still people here. And you know, ECW, ECW. And I mean, I can feel it. I'm getting goosebumps now because that's what you got. So the untrained teenager that's maybe had three local matches in his life is now going to wrestle New Jack. I saw Eric coming out, and I'm like, wow, that was the guy that, with his father, when he came, he must have gotten on the show. Mass Transit, this big teenager, went up to New Jack and told him he wanted to get some offense in. He came up to me, and he was like, can I do this? Backdrop you out the ring, push you through a table. And I said, no. That's one of the most disrespectful things that you could do as a wrestler, to come to a vet and tell him what you want to do. <laughs> so that's what pissed Jack off. All right, now it all makes sense. So why Jack was like, I'm going to cut this He wanted me to cut him. He had already pissed me off at the time, so I was like, I'm good with it. I was like, I'll cut the shit out of you. I ain't try to kill him, but I want to go close to death. Not only did the kid want to get some offense in, but he wanted to have a great match, so he wanted to, to bleed. There are a number of ways to do it. There's the hard way, which is basically when you agree with your opponent that he's going to punch you in the eyebrow or the cheek or in some place to bust you open. There's also the easy way. You take a, a common razor blade, something you find around the house, and you trim it in a fashion that you can wrap it in some tape, and then you can keep it on your wrist, in your mouth, in the waistband of your tights. In wrestling, it was a common gimmick. The blade was never intended to be an exacto knife. I had been getting high all day. I mean, so I was high. 
So we told Devon, we said, we're going to pull you out of the ring and don't get back in. You know, Devon didn't get touched, didn't get hit. Everything was mostly focused around Eric. And it was mostly New Jack giving it to Eric. I started beating on him. I was beating him with everything. So when it came time for us to get color, I had a surgical scalpel. They're about that long. And I had it taped to a stick. So I stuck him in the forehead a couple of times and did nothing happen. See, I just sliced him. And blood was keeping out. I'm sure you saw it. And I beat the shit out of the kid. His father was there in the audience. <laughs> Mustafa picked him up and slammed him. He was bleeding everywhere. The referee didn't even come to the goddamn ring. I'm standing there. And I can see over my shoulder they need paramedics, but New Jack was firing up the crowd. At that point, I'm like, okay, let's just get him out. I knew we were part of history. A defiant middle finger from Eric seems to suggest he's okay, but everyone at ringside can see that's not the case, especially his family. His father trying to get in the back, but I'm not going to let him get into the locker room or near New Jack. Did Eric's father say stuff to you? He was just calling me. He's like, you stabbed my son, you goddamn. You know, we was off camera then. All base was off. I'd have killed that old man. And I went backstage with him, but I was like, was it worth it? <laughs> he said, hey, man, they f***ed me up. <laughs> I was the next match. So I, I bled like a stuck pig that night because I was trying to take a little bit of the heat off of New Jack. Oh, we got in an argument in the car. Eric's father was like, where are you guys going? I said, oh, you're f giving us a ride back. Oh, no, I ain't. I'm not giving you a ride back. I said, Steve, yes, the f*** you are, or we're going to be fighting again up in this And, you know, he got in the van. He went to the hospital. And I remember him taking this the bandage off in the car, pulling his hair up, and just looking at it in the mirror. Eric received 50 stitches for his injuries and says he never wants to get in the ring again. I have no feeling from here to here. I have like an indention in my head from where all the nerves died. It changed him. He was depressed and all that other shit, so. The underground world of hardcore wrestling is exposed to unprecedented national attention as New Jack is charged with assault and battery. So he took me to trial, told my attorney. I said, oh, they offer me a deal. He said, right now they want you to do five years. I was like, no. He said, Jack, I think I can beat this case. Did you do any of this? You don't want to give your side? I'm going to go to court. Now understand something. It was a six jury panel. One 80-year-old black guy and five white women. He was gnawing out. I was like, that's my savior. I'm like, stay awake. Are you my savior, <laughs> you know? What was your sort of role in the trial? Explaining how Eric knew what he was doing. If he can wrestle with us, he can wrestle with a big guy. It's our view that he knew exactly what was going to happen. He was prepared to go into the ring. He knew about the props. Because, I mean, at that time, Kulas wasn't on my side. We weren't friends. The only person that really wanted me in this was New Jack. And I said, Jack, it's up to you. This is what I want. I want to work in WWE. 
New Jack promised me, if I get off Tiny, I swear I will take care of you. They had Paul Lee on the stand. The DA asked him, what did Mr. Coulard call Jerome Young? Paul Lee was like, he called him the N-word. The DA said, for the record, say it. Paul Lee looked at me, he said, Jack, I'm sorry. He said, he called him a the old juror, the black dude, he said, he was like, and the white woman was like, oh. I was laughing so hard. I sit down, I was like, oh, who the do that? <laughs> and he was working the I mean, he was working the shit out of the goddamn, the judge, the DA, the jurors. He did what he don't want to do best to work, and that's what he did, he was, he, he was working. When the jury learns Eric lied about his age and experience, the balance shifts in New Jack's favor. They deliberated for that day, came back the next day. They found me not guilty. And I ended up working for WWE. I ended up doing promos and shit with Shane, Big Show, and Triple H. And this was fresh after Eric Kulas. So it was like, New Jack, I don't know how, what the hell he did, but there was my spot right there. Do you remember how Eric Kulas passed? I didn't even know really until like years later. I forgot how it went, but people say, yo, you know, Eric died. After failing in criminal court, Eric's family tries to sue New Jack in a civil suit for damages caused by the incident. But in 2002, he dies from complications resulting from gastric bypass surgery. And then what was your reaction to learning that he passed away? Hey, well, my fault. I heard about it, I'm like, oh, well. I have to indict New Jack for this because he went too far. But also, the image of ECW allowed guys to go way too far and think that nothing would happen. Now, I'm going to go into what exactly blading is for those of you that don't know what blading is. So, in professional wrestling, blading is the practice of intentionally cutting oneself to provoke bleeding. It's also known as juicing, gigging, or getting color. Similarly, the blading is a specific act of blading. The act is usually done a good length into the match as the blood will mix with the flowing sweat on a wrestler's brow to make it look like much more blood is flowing from the wound than there actually is. The preferred area for blading is usually the forehead as scalp wound bleed profusely and heal easily. Legitimate unplanned bleeding which occurs outside the storyline is called juicing the hard way. Now we're going to get into the history and origin of blading. Prior to the advent of blading, most storyline blood in wrestling came from one wrestler deliberately splitting the flesh over their opponent's eyebrow bone with a hard, well-placed and forceful punch. In his third autobiography, The Hardcore Diaries, Mick Foley cites Terry Funk as one of the few remaining active wrestlers who knows how to bust an eyebrow open in this way. However, on a very rare occasion in the 2012 Extreme Rules event, Brog Lesnar caused John Cena to bleed without blading with a vicious elbow to his head and further hard strikes to see his body, though Cena ultimately won the match and the match being critically acclaimed. The forehead has always been the preferred blading surface due to the abundance of blood vessels. A cut in this area will bleed freely for a length of time and will heal quickly. A cut in this location will allow the blood to mix in with the sweat on the wrestler's face, giving them a crimson mask effect. 
Now we get into the contemporary history. Popularity of blading has declined in recent years. The wrestlers always run the risk of cutting too deeply and slicing an artery in the forehead. In 2004, Eddie Guerrero accidentally did this during his match with JBL at Judgment Day, resulting in a rush of blood pouring from the bladed area. Guerrero lost so much blood because of the cut that he felt the effects from it for two weeks. Another more extreme incident was in the early days of ECW. Alfonso fought Beulah McGillicuddy in the 1997 event as good as it gets. The match was described by former ECW owner Paul Heyman as his favourite in the history of the promotion. The five-minute contest was a bloody brawl and had implications far beyond the ring. Also, Bill Alfonso had allegedly been feeding information to rival promotions looking to get talents to sign deals with the likes of WCW. Paul Heyman admitted in the Rise and Fall of ECW documentary that this performance from Alfonso essentially saved his career in the company. Alfonso and Beulah McGillicuddy were not trained performers, but they gave their all in the contest. Quote, yeah, it really scared me. I thought he was going to die, Beulah McGillicuddy began, describing how Alfonso had cut an artery and nearly bled to death in the ring. The match became infamous because Alfonso lost one third of the blood in his body, according to Paul Heyman. He had to get a blood transfusion. In the past, North American professional wrestling, blading was almost exclusively performed by and on male performers. However, in promotions that allows blading in the 2020s, such as All Elite Wrestling, women have bladed as well. For example, in a match against Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa in 2021, Baker underwent excessive bleeding because of blading during the match. Some wrestlers like Abdullah the Butcher, Dusty Rhodes, New Jack, Bruiser Brody, King Curtis Lukia, Carlos Colon Sr., Piero Aguo, Devon Hughes, Brother Devon, Devon Dudley, Ric Flair, Steve Corneo, Tarzan Gotto, Balls Mahoney, Kentaro Kaimura, John Kasai, Villano III, Ian Rotten, Sabu, and Manny Fernandez have disfiguring scars on their f- heads from frequently blading throughout their careers. According to Mc Foley, the scars in Abdullah's head are so deep that he enjoys holding coins or gambling chips in them as a macabre party trick. Presently, blading is a lot less popular than in the past due to the prevalence and heightened awareness of AIDS and hepatitis. In the 1980s, the willingness to blade was seen in as advantage of new wrestlers. From July 2008 onwards, due to its TV PG rating, WWE has not allowed wrestlers to blade themselves. In most cases, any blood coming from the wrestlers is unintentional. To maintain their TV PG rating when a wrestler bleeds live on television, WWE tends to attempt to stop the bleeding mid-match or use different camera angles to avoid showing of blood. During repeats of said footage, WWE television programs often shift to black and white. Impact Wrestling, formerly known as Total Nonstop Action or TNA Wrestling, used blading frequently until adopting a new no-blood policy in 2014. Wrestlers Abyss and Raven were famed for their matches involving the most blood in TNA before the new policy in 2014. Now we're going to give some examples. One of the most famous blading incidents was a blade job performed by Japanese wrestler The Great Muta in a 1992 match with Harishi Haas. The amount of blood Muta lost was so great that many people to this day judge the severity of blade jobs on the Muta scale. ECW is famous for their hardcore style wrestling, employing excessive usage of blading. By far the most controversial incident relating to blading was the mass transit incident at ECW on November 23rd of 1996. During a scheduled tag team match between the team of Axel Rotten and Devon Dudley versus the team of New Jack and Mustafa Saeed, Axel Rotten could not make the show and was replaced by 17-year-old fan Eric Kulas, who lied about both his age, claiming to be 21, and his wrestling experience. Before the match, Kulas asked New Jack, who 
who was notorious for his stiff hardcore style wrestling and for shooting on opponents to blade him since he had never done it himself. And New Jack agreed to it. New Jack bladed Coolass with a surgical scalpel but cut too deeply and severed two arteries in Coolass's forehead. Coolass screamed in pain then passed out as blood poured from his head and was later hospitalised. The incident garnered much negative publicity in a lawsuit by Coolass's family where New Jack was charged but the jury dropped all charges as the blading was done per Coolass's request and Coolass had lied about his age. Eric Coolis later died on May 12, 2002 but no connection was made between his death and the incident. During an interview on Jimmy Kimmel Live, Mickey Rourke spoke about his experience with gigging himself for a scene in the 2008 movie The Wrestler. Rourke had agreed to gig at the initial request of director, and I'm going to butcher this name, Darren Aronsky, in hopes that he would revoke the demand come production time. Indeed, later during filming, Aronofsky admitted that Rourke nearly needn't actually gig, however, by his own will, Rourke decided to go through with it anyway. In the film itself, Rourke's character is seen preparing for a match by wrapping a razor blade inside his wrist tape. There is one notable incident of blading in association football. In 1989, Chilean national team goalkeeper Roberto Rojas bladed himself to prevent a loss by blaming the injury on fireworks thrown by opposing fans. FIFA saw through the ruse and ended up banning Rojas for life and banning Chile from the 1994 FIFA World Cup. Rojas's ban was lifted in 2001. Canadian wrestler Devon Nicholson pressed charges against Abdullah the Butcher, claiming that he contracted hepatitis C after Abdullah bladed him without consent. An Ontario court ruled in favour of Nicholson and ordered Abdullah to pay $2.3 million. During their King of the Ring match at Uncensored 1995, Dustin Rhodes and the Blacktop Bully bladed, which was against the policy of World Championship Wrestling at the time, and they were both fired as a result. Now we get into New Jack and who he was. Jerome Young, born January 3rd of 1963 and died May 14th of 2021, was an American professional wrestler better known by his ring name New Jack. He was best known for his time with Extreme Championship Wrestling, ECW, where he became notorious for his willingness to take dangerous bumps in his stiff, hardcore wrestling style, often taking risks and known for shooting on opponents, including the 1996 mass transit incident and an altercation with Gypsy Joe in 2003. He is also known for being the only wrestler to have had his entrance music Natural Born Killers by his Cuban Dr. Dre play throughout his matches in ECW. After the promotion closed in 2001, Young spent the rest of his career on the independent circuit until his death in May of 2021. Now we get into his early life and his views. Jerome Young was born on January 3rd of 1963 in Greensboro, North Carolina. In 1968, when he was five years old, he and his siblings witnessed his father stab his mother multiple times after he found out she'd been cheating on him with other men. Five months later, he shot her in the leg when she tried to leave and take Young with her. His father died of a heart attack later in the year, and he and his mother moved frequently across Georgia, usually trying to stay a step or two ahead of landlords seeking to evict them. He attended various schools before finally graduating from D.M. Thorell High School in Atlanta. There, Young had a measure of success in football, which led to him attending Clark Atlanta University. Young and his friends began robbing local stores such as gas stations, sporting goods stores, and jewelry stores. He spent two years in prison for aggravated robbery, and after his release, he worked briefly as a truck driver before spending the next decade as a bounty hunter. I could not sit here and swear in open court that anything that New Jack ever told me about his background was true or false. I've heard he was a bounty hunter. I've heard he had a number of justifiable homicides to his credit. The way he talks, the way he walks, the way he carries himself, this brother is real. 
Just imagine a badass, big African-American dude slinging drugs on one of the hardest streets in, like, Harlem. You know what I'm saying? If you f with him, he will kill you. Maybe not kill you, kill you, but he will f you up. He's that tough f dude. In 2008, Young took part in a shoot interview with the Iron Sheik and the Honky Tonk Man where the Chris Benoit double murder and suicide was discussed. Young commented that nothing could excuse what Benoit had done and anybody in WWE or elsewhere defending Benoit or the wrestling business from public scrutiny were hypocrites. He also thought it was ironic how ECW was seen as violent and dangerous promotion where drug use was encouraged, yet there was only one person who died during Young's five-year tenure with the company, whereas WWE was averaging three deaths a year. In the same interview, Young accused WWE Chairman Vince McMahon of murder and helping falsify wrestling drug tests. Young was critical of Paul Heyman as a promoter, primarily due to Heyman's penchant for lying to his roster as well as for cheating them out of paychecks. In 2012, Young criticized Abdullah the Butcher for using dirty blades on wrestlers and stating that Young was HIV positive. Now we get into his personal life, health issues, and eventual death. From 2009 to 2011, Young was in a relationship with Terry Runnels. After the relationship ended, Runnels filed a lawsuit against Young for libel and to block distribution of sexually explicit photos he had of Runnels. Young was married to Jennifer Young, one of his sons, a drag queen named Washington Heights, revealed in 2020 that Young had disowned him a few years earlier due to being a drag queen. Young responded to the claim stating that, and I quote, My son was mentioned in my book that just came out last year, so the statement about me disowning him three years ago is simply not true. End quote. Young later commented on a Facebook Live video, quote, I would just like to say, you little motherfucker, you know who you are and you're not my son, you little bitch. End quote. Heights stated after Young's death that he was proud of me, he wanted to fix things, but didn't know how. End quote. After retiring, Young regularly used prescription painkillers to help with the pain from various injuries he sustained during his career. In 2016, he collapsed while walking home from an event. He was diagnosed with blood clots in his legs and back in addition to heart problems. Tommy Dreamer revealed that when he tried to book Young for his House of Hardcore promotion, Young said he was in poor health and often bedridden due to his heart problems and failing vision. On May 14th of 2021, Young died of a heart attack in the afternoon at his Greensboro, North Carolina home at the age of 15. Now we get into some controversial New Jack moments, and there were a few over the years. For example, we have New Jack versus Rick Grimes. Another high-profile New Jack incident was down to his personal hatred towards fellow ECW wrestler Vic Grimes. Grimes and New Jack had a match at ECW's Living Dangerously pay-per-view in 2000. The pair agreed on finishing the match with a tandem jump from a balcony onto a table. When it came time to perform the dangerous stunt, Grimes wanted to back out in the last second, but New Jack wasn't having that on a pay-per-view. So he dragged Vic Grimes down with him, causing Grimes to have no control over his fall and landing on New Jack's head. New Jack suffered serious injuries, including a broken leg and a cracked skull, which led to him suffering loss of sight, headaches, and insomnia for the rest of his life, according to the man himself. Miraculously, New Jack returned to the ring when his injuries healed and was scheduled to face Grimes again in another promotion in a scaffold match. New Jack this time was out for revenge. He solely blames Grimes for the previous incident between them and was annoyed his peer never called him during his recovery process. So, on top of the scaffold structure, New Jack pulled out a stun gun and tasered his opponent without his consent. He would then throw Grimes off the structure, almost killing him. Other wrestlers at the event said Grimes was about a foot away from hitting the concrete floor around the ring, and in interviews, New Jack would admit he was aiming for the concrete, but didn't throw his adversary hard enough. 
New Jack started trying to go farther and farther, not only with the blood and the edginess of the content, but also the spectacular bumps and falls. I was the only one that probably started coke in the locker room. I mean, it was like a boost. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, if I can get high, I can go get high. And I was snorting every night. Once you've jumped off a 10-foot balcony, what's next? Jump off a 15-foot balcony, and then a 20-foot balcony. And at some point, there's no way that this can end well, even if you do it right. Yeah, you have any favorite dives? Well, the one that people always talk about, me and Big Grimes. Imagine Humpty Dumpty with arms and legs as a professional wrestler. That's kind of how he was shaped, you know what I'm saying? You just couldn't hurt the guy. Vic Grimes wanted to be run over with cars. He wanted to be hit with things. He thought that was what wrestling was. In the year 2000, Vic Grimes is booked to wrestle New Jack in a match featuring a dangerous climax. When we climbed up on top of the scaffold, it was shaking. Vic was like, I can't do it, it's too high. Now we on pay-per-view. There's no time for error. I said, Vic, let's go on three. He's Jack, I can't do it. I said, you, we going on three. I said, one, two, three, and I pulled him. He did this flip, and his back landed up against the side of my, my head, and I cracked my skull. I never recovered from that. I broke my leg. I lost my sight in my right eye to this day. I get headaches every day. And I have insomnia because I cracked my skull. Vic, see, this is all your fault, you dumb that's one of Jack's rules. Don't say you're gonna do something and get up there and chicken out. Jack's kind of guy that if you uh, you break those rules, well then he'll probably break you. A year after the horrific fall that cracked open his skull, New Jack agrees to a rematch with Vic Grimes with even higher stakes. What Grimes doesn't know is that New Jack is out for revenge. Before the match, I went to a pawn shop and bought a stun gun. But yeah, I was there with New Jack, with New Jack, and he told me he was going to do it before it happened, too, so. What did he want to have happen? He told me he was going to taste some In the locker room. He came up to me. I was ready to kill the He said, I'm sorry. I said, you didn't even call me. I said, home for almost a year. I said, you didn't even call me to see how the I was doing. This is the highest elevation of any match in the history of our sport. Bro, I mean, I was high. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was high So I just tased him. I tased the shit out of him. Jack, Jack, I can't feel my legs. I said, you ain't gonna need them. Bums away. Vic was a foot from missing the ring completely, which would have killed him. I wanted him to hit the floor. I just didn't throw him hard enough. I was trying to throw his ass to the floor. So we don't piss Jack off, because a fight's never over until Jack says it's over. I can't believe he didn't, like, die. It's the luck of fools that this guy was not at least paralyzed. And I don't think Jack was particularly broken up about it. I clammed down off of the scaffold, and I went up to him. And he was, when he was laying in the ring, I told him, I said, now we're even, you Big Grimes is going to need medical attention. Could you have gotten him for attempted murder? I don't know. I mean, I think throwing some off a scaffolding kind of is right on that line. Incredibly, Grimes' worst injury is a dislocated ankle. Then we have the Gypsy Joe beatdown. As you may have gathered by now, most of these stories will not be for the squeamish. 
Our latest altercation takes place at an independent wrestling show in 2003. New Jack was booked to wrestle a man by the name of Gypsy Joe in a hardcore match. Just an extra nugget of information to keep in mind was that Gypsy Joe was in his 70s at this stage. For some unknown reason, Gypsy Joe wouldn't cooperate with New Jack and continually headbutted him in the nose. Of course, this angered New Jack, who began attacking his opponent with chains, barbed wire baseball bats, and whatever else he could get his hands on. The limited crowd in attendance were shocked at this all-out assault, with many leaving the venue in sickening disgust or throwing racial slurs at New Jack, further exasperating him. You know it's bad when New Jack admitted he may have gone too far on that one. So it became a one-upsmanship and can you top this and got into a position where you had to go further and further to keep that position and then it became his calling card. Do you think there was ever a match where you think you went too far? Well, I could name a few of them, but I'm saying probably Gypsy Joe. Oh, Lord. Hold on. I looked at how old he was, but then I forgot when we got in the ring. In 2003, New Jack faces off against 72-year-old journeyman Gypsy Joe, who promotes himself as a man impervious to pain. The problem is no one's bothered to tell New Jack. The promoter was thinking, oh, this is going to be the today's hardcore icon and the old pro from yesteryear that everybody knows is tougher than a $2 steak. So the night of the show, Joe comes up. He said, just listen to me, kid. I teach you a lot. I said, you talking to me? We didn't talk no more. I went to the ring. Joe comes to the ring. And Gypsy Joe, as per his gimmick, wasn't selling New Jack stuff because you really have to hit Joe to make him go down and register because he's so tough. So then I got to listen to these fans. Go home, And then I was pissed. I started beating Joe like it owe me money. I beat the shit out of him. Outside the ring, I got a bat. They had bought while I wrapped around him. Hit him in the head like three times. Jack just said, this old man. I threw a row of chairs on him, and they got louder. Go on, And dude, the more they said it, the more pissed off I got. And I beat the shit out of a hundred-year-old man. Wish the match never should have happened. Then we have Stabbing of Hunter Red. Shortly after in 2004, the rage of New Jack took over again when a similar incident occurred. A gentleman by the name of Hunter Red requested a match with New Jack at an event as he believed it would help make him famous and oh boy didn't it just. Other backstage personnel at the event said Hunter was agitated before the match. Once in the ring, Hunter Red started to punch Jack in the nose, landing some significant blows in the process. As we know, New Jack doesn't play that game. In return, he pulled out a middle blade from his trousers and stabbed his opponent multiple times in the head with the man himself claiming he did it nine times. Obviously he was arrested and was looking at a substantial prison sentence. Oddly enough, Hunter Reed visited him in jail and said he would drop all charges if New Jack would agree to go into business with him by taking their real life feud on the road as a wrestling storyline. New Jack agreed, but as soon as the charges were dropped, he fled to Florida and cut off all communication with Hunter Reed. The federation that I used to own and promote was Thunder Wrestling Federation. Thunder had started gaining some momentum, and Jack had been there a couple of times. New Jack's opponent is William Jason Lane, wrestling under the name Hunter Red. That night, Red had asked me if he could wrestle Jack. 
when you wrestle an icon, it kind of moves you a little bit. It's, it's on your resume. And I said, well, Red, um, that's a whole different ball game. Hunter Red comes up, he's like, what you want to do? I said, dude, we're going to the back and talk about this. He said, well, we can talk about it now. I said, no, we're going to the back and talk about it. So I laid it out. I said, well, this is what we're going to do. And in the middle of me talking, he got up, he said, all right, whatever, what the f whatever the f I'm looking around like, what the f That's who put him up to this? I said, I will see you in the ring. What the f ever we do, I'll just what, whatever. Something was troubling Red. The actual reality of wrestling New Jack, I think it kind of set in. Once again, I've been throwing coke. Once again, I was high as a m drinking vodka, like I'm doing now. And I had a claw, a Wolverine claw. It had the three blades on it. One of the blades that broke off, I had it in my pocket. When the match began, Red picked New Jack up and sat him in a corner. And he punched me. My nose is big enough. I don't need nobody to help me get bigger. Then he punched me again in the nose. It looks like this guy's really hitting Jack hard. And then Jack, yeah, well, the way Jack moves across his ring, now he's hooking him and he's talking to him. I said, you trying to handle me? I said, you really trying to handle me? Uh-oh. Jack's reaching in his pocket for something. He's cutting him. What the? Wait, oh, my. He's stabbing this mother. Run. Oh, shit. Ooh. It's never good when you open a wrestling video with a shot of a stage in an empty bandstand. Oh, good Lord. What is there, 30 people there? So the guy comes in the ring, they lock up. Okay, already he's pissing New Jack off. And he pulled a knife out of his pants and is now apparently stabbing this guy who's trying to get away. What the is going on here? But is, is he actually stabbing this guy? Look at that woman with her hand over her mouth and the kid, the 10-year-old kid is sitting there going, this is a first in 125 years of wrestling history. Yeah, this is not something that does the public image of professional wrestling a world of good. The line in wrestling between cooperation and felonious assault is also one of those lines that's blurred. But I always looked at it this way. If two guys agree to something beforehand, and everything that happens happens in those parameters, they are working together. If something happens that is egregiously outside those parameters, such as just take a knife and just slash a guy's face, that's crossed the line from cooperation to felonious assault. I stuck him like nine times. On the news, they said 16. I said, no, it was nine. I counted it was nine. For the second time in his career, New Jack's violence in the ring lands him in trouble with the law, and the evidence against him is impossible to ignore. The guy that called the cops, he said there's been a stabbing at the Ramada Inn. There's a black guy with camouflage on stabbing a white guy. So that's how they treated it. The cops came in, guns draw. Get on the floor! I remember the police officer asking Jack, why do you hate white people? And I just looked at him. But I thought that was really inappropriate. They put Red on a stretcher, and Jack left in a police car. New Jack is charged with aggravated battery and faces up to 15 years in a Florida prison. They took me to jail. Hunter Red comes up to the jail. 
I'm like, why are you here? He said, I got an idea. I'll drop the charges. You take me on the road, and we can make an angle out of this. Hunter Red is looking for New Jack. He's out for revenge. He said, we could do the whole Florida circuit. I said, well, you got to drop the charges first. I sat in jail for three weeks. He went and dropped the charges. I went home, put my shit in storage, and I left Florida. That was the last time I talked to him. He also terrified WWE, apparently. As you can imagine from the stories above, getting New Jack into the walls of WWE was seemingly an impossible task. Again, the word controversial and New Jack go hand in hand. The prospect of him in World Wrestling Entertainment and the headaches that would have come with it would keep the WWE legal team up at night. New Jack never made it to the WWE because they were never going to touch him. Because he was too controversial. They were afraid of lawsuits, they were afraid of bad publicity, they were afraid he was going to hurt somebody. For example, he talked before about his copious drug use before most of his matches, probably stoking the flames in most of the situations mentioned. In the eyes of WWE, New Jack would have garnered bad publicity and possible lawsuits. Say what you will about the outlandish world of ECW, but many of that promotion's most extreme stars eventually made their way to WWE. For example, off the top of my head, RVD, Rob Van Dam, The Dudley Boys, Sabu, Taz, Rave, Sandman and Tommy Dreamer are just some of the names that worked under Vince McMahon with varying degrees of success. Jack was rumoured to be entering the fold in 2005, inserting himself in a feud between John Cena and Carlito, but nothing ever came of it. You could say the same about the two ECW One Night Stand shows WWE ran back in 2005 and 2006. Ultimately, the idea of New Jack working with the family-friendly environment of WWE just never seemed right to begin with. Did New Jack cross the line on occasion? Sure, but listen to the people that knew him well and they'll all paint a different picture of the man. Away from wrestling, he was known as a generous, hilarious, and lively character. The thing with Jack is he was too much into his gimmick. He, he carried that wherever the f he was at. He, there was no Jerome Young. It was just New Jack. New Jack can't benefit from any of this reputation he's got anymore because he's pretty much his active career is over with. So I think now it's more of an albatross around his neck. I was New Jack when I came in the door, and I'm still New Jack. And so then, who is Jerome Young? That's a difficult question, because the line is blurred between Jerome Young and New Jack. If there's a difference, I don't know, because I don't know if I ever met Jerome Young. I don't think I wanted to know for sure. Because here was a guy that I could even halfway believe in. Best part about it is the legend, believe it or not, is probably going to be bigger than the person. You know what I'm saying? How stories get, the details get taller and taller and bigger and better as the time goes. He perfected his craft and brought it to the highest level that he could bring it to because he knew it would leave a lasting impression. With that, this case remains open, but with many unanswered questions, it still remain unanswered. Please rate the show and let me know what you guys think about this and the many other cases I've covered. You can follow me on all major social media platforms, YouTube, BitChute, Dailymotion. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. Links are all down below in the description. If you have a case you'd like me to have a look at or cover, don't hesitate to send me a message. I'm your host, and this has been the Unanswered Questions Podcast. Until next time. Next, on Unanswered Question. George Reeves, born George Kiefer Brewer, born on January 5th of 1914 and died June 16th of 1959, was an American actor. He is best known for portraying Superman in the television series Adventures of Superman from 1952 to 1958.